0: We're listening to Expand Your Horizons, the podcast for English language teachers and wanderlust indulgers. This is Lauren and Shannon, teacher training duo of TEFLHorizons.com. Each week, we bring you teaching advice, travel tips, and inspiring stories from around the globe. Here's to making this big world a little smaller by connecting ESL teachers everywhere. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Expand Your Horizons, the TEFL Horizons podcast. I'm Shannon, and I'm here with Lauren, as usual. Hi. And in today's episode, we are going to be talking about lesson aims, which is very exciting. One of our favorite topics, I would say, at least mine. Yeah. I don't know how you feel, (laughs) Lauren. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay, so when we're talking about lesson aims, um, first things first, what are lesson aims and why do they matter? Um, If you have some teaching experience, you're probably familiar with this idea of needing to write lesson aims. Um, But I think a lot of teachers, maybe not a lot of teachers, but I think it's tempting to see them as kind of a chore. But I really do think they're more useful than they get credit for. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lesson aim is basically just the objective for what you are going to achieve in your lesson. It's like you're I almost like to think of it as making a bet, like what you're setting out to accomplish or what you're setting out to earn in the course of the lesson. Um, And so basically, you know, then going into the lesson, exactly what your focus is, exactly what you're
1: trying to do in that lesson. Yeah, that's a good point. A good thing to keep in mind when you are thinking about your lesson aims is that um, even though you're writing them, (laughs) the lesson aims are for the students and not for you. Uh, so you want to write those lesson aims with the students in mind, from the students' perspective. So what they will have accomplished by the end of the lesson, um, and not what you intend to teach them, mm-hmm. which are can be two different things. <laughs> yeah. Um So yeah. So just uh, you know, when you're thinking about uh, setting up your lesson, what the students will have accomplished. Uh, if you're writing your lesson, your lesson aims down, uh, writing it from from the students' perspective. So by the end of the lesson, they'll be better able to do this thing. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. And we tend to word it by the end of the lesson,
0: because that also gives us that sort of end goal or objective, um, where, you know, we're thinking about what are the students going to be better at when they leave the, the, the class, um, than they were when they came into class. So that's why it's always by the end of the lesson and then again it's from the student's perspective because nobody cares what you're doing as the teacher the only reason you're doing anything is to help the students be better learners yeah um so it's going to be students will be better able to blah blah blah.
1: and I like to say better able to rather than able to as well because like really you know 45 minutes or an hour is not enough time to master you know a skill or a system that you're focusing on but better able to I think is an achievable aim Exactly. Um, if you've heard "swabat" before, you might
0: have. That's another way that I've yeah. heard teachers abbreviate. Um, helps them remember. So "swabat" students will be able to. Um, that's yeah. Yeah, aims yeah. are sometimes referred to in that way also. Yep. Yeah. Um, right. Okay. So we're gonna we're gonna word our aims from the students' perspective. Um, the next thing is really just why these matter so much. Um, and for this, I always like to use an analogy. I heard this from a fellow CELTA trainer, so I'm just blatantly stealing her analogy, but I love it. I think it's perfect. Um, so I always say having, having a lesson aim, um, is kind of like getting a taxi to the airport or the reason why we have lesson aims, um, think about getting a taxi to the airport, right? So you hire a taxi to take you to the airport. It could be the nicest taxi you've ever been in, you know, the most luxurious, comfortable seats. Um, The driver could be the nicest person you've ever met. Maybe, you know, he takes you all over the city and points out all these really cool landmarks and restaurants and things to do that you didn't know about. Um, Maybe he stops at Starbucks and gets you your favorite coffee drink. You know, the best taxi ride you've ever had in your life. However, if he doesn't get you to the airport at the end of the ride in time for your flight he has failed at his job. Amazing. And you're going to be upset that you've missed your flight. Like That was the one thing that he was supposed to do. Um, so that's why we have lesson aims. If you want to think of it that way, it's because you know it can be the most fun, entertaining, amazing experience for the students going through the lesson. But at the end of the day, if they haven't actually learned the thing that you wanted them to learn, or they haven't actually gotten better at the thing you said they would get better at, um, you know, the lesson wasn't really successful. Right, it was enjoyable, um, but ultimately, you know, what were the students able? Like, what did they get out of that other than just a good time that they could have had? Yeah. You know, going out with friends or something. Yeah,
1: I like that a lot. Actually. Yeah, that that works really well, and I think that wording of wording of aims really does matter as well. It's like we were saying, like I we prefer to say the students will will be better able. You know, uh, if you are in the practice of writing your aims down, I would say, be careful with how you, you word your aims. Um, so let's take the, the skills aims, for example. So you're teaching a, a reading lesson or a listening lesson. Um, and I uh, like to say something like the students will have practiced um, reading for gist and detailed comprehension. Um, so that's a good start. Um, So those are the two main things that I, you know, I feel the students will do in terms of reading, gist, and detailed comprehension. It's also important to note the context, because as we've talked about in uh, previous episodes, uh, context matters, uh, and it changes perhaps even the way that students read. Um, you know, the way we read a travel brochure is a is very different to the way we might read, uh, a a newspaper article or the way we might read someone's personal diary or something like that. So, uh, having the context there is important. So in, uh, our last episode about, uh, skills versus systems, um, uh, in tying up the, the skills lessons that we've done, we talked about um, that moose lesson, the drunk moose. So, just as an example, if you haven't listened to that episode, you can go back and listen. Um, the article is about a moose who got drunk on fermented apples. So, the the reading aims would be the students will have practiced reading uh, for gist and specific, uh, no, sorry, detailed comprehension in the context of an article. Um, about a drunk moose. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and that sets it aside from the other reading lessons that they might do.
0: Yeah. And you'll notice in what Lauren said, you can get pretty detailed, you know, not just that students will have practiced reading, but students will have practiced reading for gist or, you know, have practiced skimming for gist and also reading for detailed comprehension. So you can actually mention the type of reading that students yes. will get practiced with. Yeah. You can name the actual sub skills. Um, I'll link to our podcast episode on reading sub skills in case you're not sure what those are
1: good. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you will also, so in our, the last episode about skills, we talked a little bit about productive skills as well. Um, you can, name, you can word the productive skills aim similarly, like they will have practiced. Um, I tend to, I think probably Shannon tends to as well, maybe uh, use different words there. I like to say that students will have developed their ability to write or to speak mm-hmm. in the context of something. Um, or, uh, so a speaking lesson, uh, students will have developed their ability to speak in the context of um, uh, making... Uh, party plans
0: sure yeah that's the example we gave I think when we talked about teaching a
1: speaking lesson yeah and then in a writing lesson I like to say that they will have developed uh, their ability to write and instead of saying in the context of you can just mention the type of writing they're doing right so they'll have developed their ability to write travel blogs or write Mm -hmm. um, personal profiles or whatever the thing is that you're writing. Because as we've said before, it's best to go into a writing lesson with a specific task in mind or text type in mind.
0: Yes, definitely. Um, So when we're talking about systems lessons, teaching grammar or vocabulary, it's going to be pretty similar. Again, from the student's perspective, um, students will have developed their use of, I like to say, Mm -hmm. or practiced using. And then you can say whatever... The system or um, the system is so. If it's a grammar lesson, for example, it could be maybe it's a grammar lesson on the present perfect. Mm. Um, the aim could be students will be better able to use the present perfect, um, or students will have practiced their use of the present perfect. Um, if it's vocabulary, you can actually say what kind of vocabulary words they'll be practicing. Mm -hmm. So maybe you're teaching a lesson on personality adjectives, um, and you have eight different personality adjectives that the students are learning in that class. Um, You could say, you know, students will have developed and expanded their use of personality adjectives, Mm -hmm. something like that. Good. Yeah. Um, So the wording here, it sounds kind of nitpicky, I know. But the wording here is actually sort of important, um, definitely important if you're being evaluated on your lesson planning, like if you're director of studies or a senior teachers, you know, checking your your lesson plans, and that's a thing that you're concerned about. Um, but just in general, I think you want to word these aims in a way that's actually achievable. So, for example, with the grammar lesson that I talked about, the present perfect, um, there's a slight difference between saying students will have practiced using the present perfect or developed their use of the present perfect, and students will know the present perfect. Um, If you think about how you measure that your aims have been achieved, it's through evidence. How do you get that evidence in the practice activities? So, you know, if in the controlled and freer practice in your lesson, you hope that that you're going to see the students using the grammar that you taught them correctly, um, If they're using it correctly, that indicates that you've achieved your aims, right, in that lesson. Um, But it's kind of hard to prove definitively that students know that grammar. Mm -hmm. Um, Not as hard to prove that students have practiced that grammar or developed their use of that grammar. Like, if they do the practice activities, you can prove that they've practiced. Um, So think about it that way. Uh, That's one thing with kind of tricky wording. Another thing that I'll sometimes see teachers do is word a grammar lesson aim like students will know the difference between the present perfect and the past simple, (laughs) which like, okay, (laughs) true. Um, But what does that mean in terms of their ability to actually use English? Um, I would argue that a lot of native speakers could not tell you the difference between the present perfect and the past simple because most native speakers don't learn terminology. Um, So just the fact that the students know the difference between those two tenses doesn't really mean anything in terms of what they can do with language. Um, so instead, you really want to keep it focused on their use of language, not just their receptive knowledge of language. Exactly. Um, just being able to identify names and tenses doesn't actually help them use English in a way that is helpful. <laughs> right. Um, so that's another thing to think about. And then finally, with the wording of aims, um, you really want to keep this focused on skills or systems. So like what particular skill or system are students going to be developing? And what I mean by that is you don't want to just list out the activities that students will do in the lesson. So I've also seen teachers write aims like um, by the end of the lesson, students will have completed a worksheet on X, Y, Z. Or by the end of the lesson, students will have had a conversation about X, Y, Z. Which like, okay, yes. Yeah. You're almost there, right? But like, what is the point of them having a conversation? Well, the, the point is because you want them to practice their speaking fluency. So right. that's actually your aim, developing speaking fluency, not having a conversation.
1: Having a conversation is part of the procedure. Ex- right? like, like that's what, what they what do doing. to develop
0: yeah. their speaking fluency. Right. Or same with, you know, students will have filled out a worksheet on the present perfect. Okay. Yeah. But the whole reason they're filling out the worksheet is to practice using the present perfect. So that's the aim. The worksheet is just something that you're going to do to get there. Yeah. Um, so always keep it focused on sort of the linguistic merits behind what you're doing, not just the actual tasks that students are doing in the lesson that will come into the procedure of your lesson plan. That's not part of the aim.
1: Yep. Up until now, we've been talking about the main aims, of the lesson. So the focus of the lesson, but, uh, if you've been listening to our previous episodes, you know, often we talk about, uh, how lessons don't stand alone, right? So very often, uh, skills lesson so reading writing listening speaking will be coupled with something else Uh, so uh, a good thing to note here before we we talk a little bit about the sub aims of a lesson or the aims that are not the main aims is that the main aim so what we've just talked about and the sub aim what I'm about to talk about are not going to be the same skill or system so they don't duplicate one another But they rather work hand-in-hand to complement one another. Mm -hmm. So let's give you some examples. uh, And we'll go on some examples that we've used until now. First, let's take a reading lesson, uh, the reading about the drunk moose. Um, So the main aim of that lesson was going to be skimming for gist and reading for detailed comprehension. Uh, It's a reading lesson. Uh, So what are some other things that we've mentioned in that lesson uh, that we might need to teach um, in order to support that main aim of reading? So in a lot of reading lessons, in order to achieve the main aim of reading, we might need to pre-teach some vocabulary some blocking vocabulary, as Shannon used, the terminology that Shannon used before, in order to make the reading more achievable. So that's one possible sub-aim, is a sub-aim of vocabulary. Let's just put that on the list of possible sub-aims, okay? Then we also, so we go through the reading stages, we've got this time at the end of a lesson, and we like to give the students an opportunity to somehow personalize what they've read. Um, and very often a reading lesson will be followed by some sort of productive task, whether it's a writing task or a speaking task, um, because the, the, uh, the skills of, of reading and listening and productive skills of speaking and writing go nicely together. They complement one another in a lesson. So, um, because at the end of the lesson, uh, we'll be doing speaking or writing, um, because it's at the end of the lesson, it's not a main aim. It's not a main focus. The lesson wouldn't fall apart completely if you didn't have time to get to it, let's say. So that also becomes one of the sub aims. Um, I'm going to imagine in this specific case that I've chosen that the students will write a journal entry from the perspective of the moose. Okay, so then the, the other sub aim is uh, writing fluency. So all right, on the table, we've, looked, we've put on the table then two sub aims. Uh, vocabulary from the pre-teach vocabulary, and then the writing fluency from the journal entry. When we're looking at, at what is achievable in 45 minutes, an hour, an hour and 15 minutes, depending on how long your lesson is, that's when we really start to look at how achievable our aims are too. If you don't think you can accomplish all of those things in that given time, well, then we've got to take some of that stuff off the table. So really what we're looking at in terms of aims achievement is also what we're looking at in terms of timing, right? If you don't think you're going to have time to get to a writing thing at the end of a reading lesson, then don't. It doesn't become one of your aims. It doesn't become one of your stages. Uh, But uh, in a perfect world, let's say we have, I don't know, a lot of my lessons were an hour and 20 minutes. Fine, it's enough time. So the main aim is... uh, Skimming for gist and reading for detailed comprehension. And then my sub aim becomes um, vocabulary and also writing fluency.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, and as Lauren was getting at, you can choose either one.
1: Yeah, it's up to
0: you. Okay. Um, but whatever you choose, let that determine how you spend the time and what you focus on in the lesson, right? Um, so basically, you know, in this same reading lesson, if you're choosing, vocabulary as your sub aim, great. Um, That means if you don't get to the speaking part at the end, or sorry, it was a writing part in this example, if you don't Mm -hmm. get to that writing, journal writing task at the end, who cares? You didn't say you were going to, right? right? Um, But if you choose writing as your sub aim, then you're going to want to make sure in your planning and in the teaching of the lesson itself, you keep that vocabulary stage nice and short and efficient. Or if you're running a little low on time, maybe you cut it completely. Because if you don't do it, who cares? You never said you were going to do it. Right. So it's up to you. Like you can manipulate what happens in the lesson to, to achieve these aims. Yeah.
1: And I think it's also, I mean, I think that really if your main aim is reading, do the things first that achieve that goal rather yeah. than trying to rush to the end of the lesson to get that that thing done that is that is a sub aim.
0: Right. Exactly. Because the main aim is still always going to be the most important. Um, the sub aim is is really almost just incidental. Like if you have a reading lesson and you know there's a productive task at the end, it's almost just sort of this incidental thing. Like oh yeah, in the course of the lesson, the students will also happen to get some writing practice. Right. Um, or if you know you know there's a speaking task at the end, the students will also happen to get some speaking practice. So there's your sub aim. Yeah. Um, but as as we're saying, um, make it achievable for the time that you have. Um, obviously if you have a much longer lesson, like if you have a ninety minute lesson. Maybe it is achievable to have two sub aims Um, in a 45-minute lesson. It's probably not, and a lot of teachers that we train will say, like, well, why, you know, why can't I put both of them as sub aims? Why can't I have vocab and writing for the sub aim of this reading lesson? And the answer is, well, you can, Um, but again, remember, setting an aim is kind of like making a bet. Like you're making a bet that you're going to be able to achieve this thing by the end of the allotted time in your lesson. Um, So why are you going to make a bet that that you might not be able to win, right? Right, Like set yourself up for success. Um, don't bite off more than you can chew in the very planning of your yeah. lesson, if that makes sense.
1: No, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, and it kind of leads us into our next point, uh, well too, because there are times that, you know, you've written your aims, uh, you've got to make some choices along mm-hmm. the way. Like not every lesson goes according to exactly how we've written it, Right. And so uh, teachers will often ask us also, like, how do I make those cho- those difficult choices in the middle of the lesson? Like, how do I know if I should skip that stage or shorten that stage or, or lengthen that stage or whatever the case may right. be?
0: Exactly. And I think we're going to get even more specific on that in a second. But I think that's where you say, OK, well, what's your main aim? Yep. What's your sub aim? Yep. Everything needs to come back to that. Um, that's how you decide what to cut, what not to cut. Um, so that means if it's a reading lesson, your main name is reading. If you're running short of time, you don't skip the second reading task to get to the speaking task at the end. Right. Um, you need to keep the, the time on the reading stuff if that's your main name. Um, choosing a main name should be fairly easy. Um, I don't know how intuitive it is for new teachers, but whatever your lesson type is, that's gonna be your main aim. So if it's a reading lesson, your main aim better have something to do with reading. Otherwise, something's wrong, (laughs) either in the teaching of your lesson or the writing of your aims. Um, Sub aims I know can be a little bit trickier, Um, but again, this is gonna be something different than the main aim. So a mistake I see teachers making is writing an aim, for example, like um, main aim, students will have practiced meaning and form of the present perfect, Sub aim, they'll also have practiced pronunciation of the present perfect. That's not a sub aim. Like if, if it's a grammar lesson on the present perfect, everything that has to do with the present perfect should be included in the main aim. Like that is the whole point, that students know the meaning, form, and pronunciation of the present perfect so they can use it at the end of the lesson. Um, so sub aim is going to be something else. Um, and it's typically not common to have two systems for a main aim and a sub aim. Mm -hmm. If you think about like having the main aim be grammar, main aim is, for example, students will be better able to use the present perfect. A sub aim of students will also learn these eight vocabulary words. If you think about it, like that's a lot of language. That's a lot of new grammar and vocabulary to cram into one lesson. Um, So typically if it's a systems main aim, grammar or vocab main aim, Um, the sub aim is usually a skill, like it's going to be something like speaking or writing. Yeah. Um, a really good trick is whatever the freer practice is is probably your sub aim. Yeah. If it's a spoken exercise, it's speaking. If it's a writing exercise, it's writing. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Good way to do it. Um, okay. So that's main and sub aim. Um, and as Lauren was saying, we really want to make decisions all the way through the lesson that help us achieve the main aim, especially, and also hopefully the sub aim. And so how we want to do that is for each stage in our lesson, we have a stage aim. So this is separate from the main aim and the sub aim. Um, This is basically giving us a focus or a reason why we're doing each stage. So if you need a review on lesson stages, um, I'll link. We have a blog post on that. Mm -hmm. And also for the skills lessons now, reading, writing, speaking, and listening, we have episodes on each of those you can review. Um, But lessons are basically a series of stages. So each Full activity kind of constitutes one stage. Um, First stage of any good lesson, hopefully you know this by now, is going to be a lead-in. So the stage aim of a lead-in is usually something like to set context and engage the students in the topic of the lesson. So the reason we have this stage aim, even though we already know our main and sub aim, is because we want to make sure every single thing we do in the lesson, every stage in the lesson, fits in helping us achieve the sub-aim and the main aim, especially. Um, so I like to think of it as kind of stepping stones. Like you want to make sure each stage in your lesson is a stepping stone on the same path to achieving the main aim at the end. And your stage aims help you make sure that each stepping stone is, is on the path, is in line. It's not like way out, no. you know, somewhere else. <laughs> um, if you can't think of, of the stage aim, if you can't think of why that stage aim is going to help you achieve the main aim or the sub-aim at the end of the lesson, it probably doesn't belong in that lesson, whatever that activity is. Um, could be a super fun, helpful activity for the students, but if it doesn't help you achieve the main or sub-aim of the lesson, it doesn't belong in that lesson. It belongs in another lesson.
1: Or if it's a duplicate of an a, a stage aim that you've already done oh good point yeah so i saw this recently actually a teacher a, a trainee that i had um was going to teach a grammar lesson and had uh a, a listening that had the grammar in it but also had a a really uh, nice little matching task mm-hmm. that had the grammar in mm-hmm. it and those two tasks actually achieved the same aim they presented the the grammar to the students in a context right so the listening had a context the matching task had a context so it was doing both of those 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 tasks were doing the same thing yeah and so uh because we well we were looking at the timing of the lesson and we we're like wow there's no way we can do all of these things in 45 minutes um so which one can go and i i just told the teacher we'll do the one that you think the students would respond to the best yeah mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: in a case like that, you know, both of those tasks, either that matching task or you said it was a listening task yeah. with the grammar, like, both of those tasks are fine. We're not saying either one is not a good exercise. Um, it sounds like they're both equally helpful exercises in presenting the grammar. The only issue is if they're doing the same thing, mm-hmm. you're you're using up time on something that's not right. actually adding anything to the lesson. Yeah. Um, This is also kind of an analogy and a bit of a tangent, but I think helpful. Um, And I might have talked about this on the podcast before. I don't remember. So when thinking about timing in the lesson and how to spend time in the lesson, um, I had a a candidate once who had, he was one of those teachers who had such good creative ideas and he had a really hard time achieving his aims in time because he just wanted to do all this cool stuff. Like He always tried to pack too much into one lesson. Um, and so his feedback every time was like, yes, it was a really good activity, but it was too involved. It took too long. You know, it didn't you didn't get enough mileage out of it, basically, like for the time that it took. And I, he wasn't really understanding why it was an issue. Like he would say, you know, but they had so much fun. The activity was so useful. Like it just wasn't clicking. Um, and finally, he hit on something where he kind of I was giving him that same feedback again. Yes, it was a good activity. Yes, the students enjoyed it but it took too much time for like what you got out of it in terms of achieving the main aim. Um, it finally kind of clicked and he looked at me and he said, oh, I understand now you're saying that it's too expensive. Huh. And he started seeing each activity as like a transactional huh. thing where like the cost of the time it takes versus the benefit that you get out of it. And the benefit that you get out of it always needs to be related to does it help you achieve the main aim, or at least the sub aim? Um, yeah. So you know you might have this amazing lead-in idea, um, you know where it's the students are super engaged and involved, and you know there's like lots of whistles and bells and whatever. Um, but if that thing takes ten minutes in a forty-five minute lesson, and the only aim of a lead-in is just to set the context and engage the students, you can do that in two minutes just as easily as you can do it in ten minutes right? So the 10-minute lead-in is too expensive. Like, for the cost of that time, that 10 minutes is going to mean that students don't have 10 minutes to practice the grammar at the end of the lesson, which is your main aim, maybe, right? Right. Um, So the cost of that 10 minutes is not worth what you're getting out of it. Yeah. When you could spend two minutes doing the same thing, and it would be, you know, you would achieve the aim of that stage just as easily.
1: And looking at one of the reasons why we encourage teachers to write stage aims and not just their main aims is that those stage aims really help you make informed decisions along the way mm-hmm. so if you're looking at that the lead in example is such a good one if you're looking at the aim of a lead in which is to engage students you know to in the context and to raise interest um, you really need to ask yourself like well is that achievable in two minutes versus ten yes you know versus like we get to the end of the lesson and you want your students to practice the grammar and they only have two minutes left is that achievable right not it's not and so looking at those stage aims can really help us make informed decisions along the way um if the the aim of the stage is to focus on accuracy then if a bunch of errors are coming up in that stage and i look back at the the stage aim i'm like oh yeah, the focus is accuracy. I better correct these errors right away. Mm-hmm. Versus the stage aim being fluency, like the students, you know, I want the students to practice their speaking fluency and have a conversation. Um, then I might not uh, correct the errors right away because the uh, the, the focus is ac- is fluency. Sorry. So those, those stage aims really help to anchor us as teachers too and, and help us make more important decisions.
0: Exactly. And you can see... If you listen back, for example, to our um, episode on, let's say, teaching a reading lesson, you can kind of see how every stage in that lesson, every point in that lesson, somehow contributes to achieving the main aim of developing students' reading. Mm -hmm. So, you know, why do we need to set context in the lead-in at the beginning of the lesson and engage students in the topic? Well, because they need to to become engaged in whatever the topic of the reading thing is going to be. You know, whatever text they're going to read later on in the lesson, we want to make sure they're ready for that. Mm -hmm. So getting them engaged in that topic is going to help kind of warm them up and prepare them, you know, sort of um, help them make associations in their minds, what they know about that topic already. In doing that, it's going to make the reading easier later on. Um, If another stage in that lesson is doing a vocabulary pre-teach, Again, I'm not doing that because I really want them to learn these vocabulary words. I'm doing that because I think those words might be hindering words that are going to hinder them in the reading tasks. And so everything is, again, geared towards helping with the reading stuff. So it really does kind of help you make sure everything is in line with what you're achieving overall.
1: Yeah. And for those of you who are thinking, well, you know, I don't handwrite a lesson plan for every single lesson I write. That's okay. You know, when we're talking about writing aims we are also talking about thinking about sort of that goal of the lesson and what you want students to achieve by the end of the lesson even if you're not writing writing your aims and even if you're not being evaluated teaching this lesson it's really important to go uh into the the class with that in mind like what you want students to have accomplished by the end of the lesson Mm -hmm. simply because you want to know if they've done what you've kind of set out to do that day
0: right right Exactly. I think it's um, if we think about something like the CELTA course, where, you know, it's very obvious that students are sorry, teachers, teachers in training are being assessed on their ability to achieve their lesson aims in a very set amount of time. Like we are watching the clock as trainers. We're looking at their lesson plan. um, We are literally grading teachers on whether or not they can achieve a certain amount of stuff, a certain amount of material, achieve these aims in 40 or 45 minutes. Um, Then it becomes very clear why main aims are important, stage aims are important, Mm -hmm. because the teacher is being evaluated. Um, But if that's not the case, if you're not in a training course anymore and you're just teaching in your real life – I think it's easy to sort of say, why is this so important? Like, why, why are you beating this into our heads that like, I have to have a main aim, I have to have a sub aim, I have to do all this stuff and manage my timing in such a way that I make sure I achieve them. But if you think about it, like, how else do you measure the success of your lesson, of your teaching? Um, if at the end of a whole course you can't look back and point to, okay, this was a grammar lesson and I know that I achieved that aim. This was a reading lesson. And I know I achieved yeah, that aim. Yeah. Like it's, it gets really hard to measure what students have actually achieved in your class in the course of them studying
1: with you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's true. Uh, yeah. And going back to Shannon's taxi analogy too, like that, that works really well, right? They, it might be the best taxi in the world, the, you know, the best taxi driver, but like if you don't get to the airport on time, well, you've missed your flight. Right. Um, so I think that were, that actually analogy was perfect. And for teachers, you
0: know, once they leave a training course and they have their own classroom, um, I, it's tempting to start to think, like, well, you know, it's not a big deal. Like, if I don't finish the reading activities in my reading lesson today, I can just pick up where I left off tomorrow mm-hmm. or in the next class. Um Okay. Yeah, maybe. Theoretically, yes, you could do that. Um, But then that's going to eat into whatever you've planned for the next class. Mm -hmm. So then the next class, you're still making up the reading exercises from the previous class. um, And then you don't have time to get to the grammar that you planned for that day. And then pretty soon, you know, before you know it, you're really behind on the syllabus. Mm -hmm. And every lesson has just been this sort of scattered, not super cohesive you know, you just did whatever you had time to get to that day and it was half of yesterday's stuff and half of today's mm. stuff and um, it just gets really messy. Yep. And uh, again, really hard to measure what students have achieved if that's the way that it's going.
1: Some of you also might already be teaching in schools where uh, you are um, asked to write your aims on the board for the day. Um, a lot Mm -hmm. of our, uh, our former trainees have told us this, that like, well, we actually write, you know, the goals for the lesson on the board. That's great. So if you are working in a place like that, just a a little friendly reminder, we want to make the things like if we are writing a student goal on the board, write it in a way that is student friendly. So they don't need to understand what skimming for gist is for example right (laughs) you know that right so (laughs) reading right reading for the general idea uh, is fine (laughs) um so uh if you do write your goals on the board great i think that you know that is definitely one way to approach a lesson and to ensure that students are achieving what you'd like them to achieve um but do write try to write those in a student friendly way
0: yeah really good point um, and just to clarify, because I feel like this is something that comes up in lesson planning. So when we work with, with teachers in training on planning their lessons, and when we have to give some constructive feedback on things that might not fit into a particular lesson, you know, the 10-minute lead-in, for example, that's a super fun, creative idea. Um, sometimes when I first give that feedback, the teacher in training will, will sort of take it as like, oh, so you're saying that's a bad activity. Like, I don't understand. It seems like it's going to be so fun, so useful. Um, you know, why are you saying that's a bad activity? And we're definitely not. Um, it sounds like a great activity. I'm sure the point is that it just might not fit in that particular spot in that particular lesson. Um, and so that should help you maybe let go of some of those amazing ideas that you have. Um, it might be a really amazing activity idea and that's great that it is like, we don't need to discount that. It just might not fit in every lesson like it might not fit in that particular lesson no big deal let it go put something else in that spot that does help you achieve your main aim and then use that activity in a lesson where it it fits um, and you actually get the most out of it
1: yeah i think that's a really good point like
0: that lead-in idea might be a really good productive task idea for the end of the lesson where you have 10 minutes to do speaking stuff
1: you know i uh for those of you who have been listening to the podcast from early on shit and i had have talked about like how we began teaching and stuff like that. When I first started teaching, I I didn't have a CELTA. And so when I was introduced finally to these things called frameworks, right, these steps that we take in order to achieve a certain aim, or a certain certain, uh, lesson type, I was so relieved. (laughs) Because it was like, oh, wait, oh, so okay, so that's how you do it. Because I I did have very creative ideas. I was the teacher that Shannon's just now talking about. I was that person. I had all these great ideas and didn't know where to put them uh, because I didn't I didn't know how to structure them or, or link them together somehow in order to achieve or in order to to make a more achievable path for the students to achieve that aim. And so I was like, oh, thank goodness we have this thing called a framework. Um, and it was, you would think that it would be limiting, but for me, it was so freeing.
0: Yeah, it really is because then you know what you need to achieve. You've got a ton of different ways you can get there. Um, but you're not just sort of starting from scratch and trying to cobble together all of these random activities that are fun, but then at the end of the day, you know, what are students concretely better at? Um, versus with a main aim, I think that's it's just sort of the most basic thing you can do to be a better teacher. right? Because you go in with this focus, everything is now cohesive, everything revolves around this one particular goal. And I think the students find that very motivating. Like, I don't think they're consciously aware of that difference necessarily, um, but they feel it. I think when they leave the class, they know, like, wow, I learned something today. You know, like, I practiced this one thing. I got better at this one thing. Um, that feels very obvious rather than just leaving the class, having done a bunch of kind of random activities that don't necessarily help them be better at one particular aspect of English.
1: Absolutely. Agreed.
0: Yep. Um, okay. So just to recap, um, aims and sub aims. So a main aim is basically the objective for your lesson. So it's what you are setting out to achieve in the lesson, Um, the sub-aim is another thing, another system or skill that sort of incidentally, students are also going to get practice with.
1: Correct. And we want to be careful about the wording of aims, too, so that we word them in a way that uh, it is achievable for students.
0: Yep. And of course, we always want to make sure our lessons are fun and that the students are having a nice time. Um, But we want to remember, like the taxi to the airport, if we don't achieve that thing at the end, if we don't get to our destination at the end, our lesson is not
1: as successful as it could have been. Yep. And we also want to remember the difference between a skills and a systems lesson when we're writing our aims and not to be too systems heavy in a lesson. So for example, not to have a systems Main aim and a sub aim, um, but to to look at the complementary systems and skills, um, and uh, yeah, and and to make sure that uh, we have enough time to achieve those as well. So not having too many uh, sub aims with our main aims. Exactly, and
0: I don't think we said this before, but also um, obviously in a whole course. You're gonna have different kinds of lessons. So if you know yesterday's lesson was a systems lesson with a systems main aim, maybe the next one is a skills lesson with a skills aim. So you don't have to feel like you know because you're teaching a reading lesson one day, it means the students aren't getting any grammar. Exactly. Like they'll get that in the next lesson.
1: Exactly. And if you're like me, uh, you know the type of teacher who benefited from a little bit of structure in lesson planning. Um, Each lesson type has a framework. We've talked about those in the past. And each of those stages have aims, which really help us as teachers make informed decisions about uh, the uh, things that might come up unexpectedly in class. Exactly,
0: Knowing what those aims are really helps you manage your timing and make informed decisions about what to cut or what to extend or how to deal with those problems. Um, And then especially... Within the lesson itself, we have stage aims. So each stage in the lesson or each activity in the lesson has its own aim. And we want to make sure that the stage aims help us to achieve the main aim and the sub aim.
1: Yep. And, uh, you know, like we said before, too, even if you're not writing them down, it's a really good idea to go into class with an aim so that you know that students have accomplished what you've set out to accomplish by the end of the class. Yes. I think that really does
0: sort of kick you up a notch as a teacher is not just doing something, but knowing why you're doing it. So why am I doing this particular activity in this particular lesson? What is it helping? How is it contributing to the achievement of my main aim? Um, That is going to make sure your lessons are really, really useful and effective.
1: Awesome. All right uh just a, a shout out to uh shannon this week actually so um uh, we got a couple of messages after the newsletter went out this week and uh shannon had uh sent it out as usual um on wednesday and we had a couple of messages back people just thanking us for uh the advice uh that that we give uh and just a, a super side note. That's all, Shannon. Shannon writes our newsletter. <laughs> uh, she is the brains behind it. Um, but if you haven't subscribed to it, I really encourage you to. This is uh, this is me talking <laughs> talking about my friend Shannon now. It's really good. Uh, just know I have I have very little to do with it. Um, Aww, and I, yes. I read it. I'm like, oh whoa, <laughs> this is really good. Uh, so I, I've often told her that um, you know it's it's more of a, a blog, a personal like a personalized blog post, like sent right to your Um, Right to your inbox rather than a newsletter. Like it very often doesn't announce news like stuff that's happening with us unless we're announcing like a free webinar or even in-person seminar. So anyway, if you want some really, really amazing advice sent to your uh, inbox weekly for free, subscribe to our uh-huh. shannon's uh newsletter it's, um, it's awesome, we have it's awesome. but shannon writes it it's so 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 good um and if you have no idea what i'm talking about that means that you probably should just subscribe to it
0: so to subscribe you can go to tufflehorizonscom newsletter
1: um and then it will start coming to your inbox every wednesday Uh, thanks so much for listening we really really couldn't do this without you and we love the time that we get to share together Um, if you have any comments uh, if you have any suggestions we'd we'd love for you to send us a little comment you can comment but I don't know how it works. <laughs> yes,
0: you can comment below. So on this post, if you scroll down, there's a comment box. Um, you can type right into this post. Um, or you can always email us at info at Um If you get the newsletter, that's the address that it comes from. So you can just really hit reply super easy and say whatever you want to say. Um, you know, not being in the classroom as much means that we don't get to interact with people as much, with our teachers as much. And we really miss that. So... Um, you know, you're not bugging us if you reach out. We absolutely love mm-hmm. hearing from you. Mm-hmm. It makes us feel like we have this, you know, really human connection like we're
1: used to having in the classroom. Absolutely. So thanks so much for being part of our community. Absolutely. And have a great week. Until next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Your support means so much to us. Feel free to leave a comment below if you enjoyed this and let us know what you want to hear about in upcoming episodes. If you know other teachers and travelers, we'd love for you to share this podcast with them, too, and tune in this coming Tuesday for our next episode. Until then, you can find us at teflhorizons.com. Let's keep making this big world smaller by expanding horizons.